Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, Sharon presents Part 1 of the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 15. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. This, my friends, is the pearl of all parables. Authors call it the crown of all parables. It's really a trilogy of lost and found things, three stories, and they work together. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. It's really also the parable of the found sheep, the found coin, and the found son. And really, you have to look at the ratios because God is so specific in his love for us. The first story is one out of a hundred ratio. The second story is a one to 10 ratio. And the last story is a one to one father, son, as intimate as it gets. But really, as you studied, you saw a one to 100, a one to 10, but a two to one because there are really two lost sons a prodigal son and an elder son who are both lost. We know the one son, the prodigal son was found and reinstated by the father, but the second son, the elder son, we have a cliffhanger. We really don't know how the story ends. Does he come back into the feast or not? So let's take a look at it. The tax collectors and the sinners are drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes are murmuring. They are grumbling. And they're saying, this man receives sinners and he eats with them. And that really bothers them. It really twerks them off. We've seen this before. Tax collectors and sinners versus the Pharisees and the scribes. We'll see in that last story that the prodigal son, the sinful son that goes away and squanders everything, he's a sinner. He's a tax collector and sinner category. The elder son is more like a Pharisee and scribe, the righteous son, the dutiful son. So there's just a lot of little intricacies we can explore in this story. The father is prodigal in his love, which means extreme, excessive, extravagant, lavish, unsparing, bountiful. He's, he's just an absolute, he's prodigal in his mercy, extreme in his mercy. He's the benevolent father, like God the father. So you can really put yourself in the scene of this parable. You can ask yourself, am I a sinner? Am I a tax collector? Am I a Pharisee or a scribe? Or am I the father, sometimes with that unconditional love for all? Have I been found or am I still lost? So the Pharisees and the scribes are murmuring, grumbling. This man receives sinners and eats with them. If we look back in Luke at our prior studies, we know that in chapter five, this was the same problem. The Pharisees were upset and the scribes, they were murmuring again and against Jesus's disciples saying, why do you guys eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Again, in Luke chapter 7, same thing. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. You say, behold, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Oy, they, they have a real problem with that. Same thing today in Luke 15. The Pharisees and the scribes are murmuring. They're grumbling. You receive sinners. So the first story is told to them. Jesus, the audience, specifically Jesus wants to target, wants to tell, are the Pharisees. And the scribes. So Jesus tells them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it over his shoulders rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, friends, you know this story really isn't about sheep. The story really is about one lost soul. It's a parable, so you have to put on your parable hats, you know, your parable eyes, your parable ears for those that can see and hear. Jesus has told us in John that he's the good shepherd. And he'll tell us in Luke 19 that the sole reason he came was to seek and to save what was lost. That's why he came. He has come to seek and to save what is lost. And he goes after that one black sheep. And I don't mean black as a bad color. I mean, when we use that expression, there's maybe a black sheep in your family. Maybe you had Christmas with them. He goes after the one that's lost, the one that is lost. And so should we. This is what the new evangelization is about. It's not sitting in the church with all the church people, the 99 righteous people that are in the pews with you. It's going after that one that's lost, that soul that needs, that's crying out for intentional discipleship. Going after that one, the lost one. Intentionally going after the one who is estranged or wandering off away from the fold, away from the church. And you know, as a parent, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. Isn't that true? You're only as happy as your unhappiest child because that's the one you're praying for. That's the one who's lost. That's the one who's wandering away. That's the one who's in danger. That's the one who's stuck in a crevasse. And you don't even know it because you don't even know where they are. So you intentionally pray harder for that kid. You go after that one soul who's in trouble. And in love, in love, speaking in love, living in love, witnessing in love, you try everything you can to help bind their wounds, to help heal their brokenness. And to help carry them back into right relationship with the family or to carry them back into right relationship with the church or the right relationship with Jesus, with the father and with the flock of the church. And that lone black sheep with 99 white clean souls that are all fine. It's it's that one black sinful soul that's in danger in that flock. The one who's wandered off, the one who's far away. And that's what Jesus says in Luke 19, that he has come, the son of man has come to what? To seek to find that one intentionally, to really seek him out and to save the lost. So God doesn't just welcome back repentant sinners. God seeks them out actively and through the body of Christ, because we're his hands and feet and eyes. If you're baptized into Christ, you're one of the seekers. You're one of the seekers that's helped seeking for the lost soul to seek them out intentionally. So before we all get too high on ourselves, like we're the 99 good ones, we're not. Each of us is that one at one time or another. Scripture says, all we like sheep have gone astray. All we have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him, on Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. He paid the price for every single one in here. We've all been astray sheep. Jeremiah says, my people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. This is where we're at right now in the church. We've had some shepherds that have led us astray, turning them away on the mountains from mountain to hill. They have gone. They have forgotten their fold. Just a few. And in Ezekiel 34, he talked about bad shepherds. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The crippled you have not bound up. The stray you have not brought back. You lost what you sought. With force and harshness, you ruled them. But Jesus, God promises, God promises, I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the straight and I will bind up the cripple and I will strengthen the weak, the fat and the strong. I will watch over and I will feed them in justice. I will feed them in justice. What he's going to feed you is the feast of the Lamb of God, the Eucharist, because he is the good shepherd. He says, I laid down my life for the sheep. 
And I have other sheep that are not in this fold. And I must bring them also. That's the Gentiles. He came first to the house of Israel, and he'll also bring the Gentiles into the fold. I must bring them also. And they will heed my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, one baptism, one Lord, one God who is father of all Abraham's children, right? So in this parable, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. More joy in heaven over one, that one lost one that repents than over 99 righteous persons in no need of repentance. And a lot of times, my friends, those are church people. Those are church people running all the programs at the church even. They're the righteous ones. They don't need it. The Son of Man has come to seek and save what is lost. So the first parable of the lost is a 1 to 100 ratio. It seems odd you'd leave 99 you know, money-wise, that doesn't quite make sense. It's a lot more money worth a sheep than one little one that got wandered off. Leave 99 and go after the one. Sheep are dumb, and they wander off a lot. They're, they're, they're nibbling on it. They're, they're, they get so busy nibbling from one, you know, thing to the next. They go whatever, and, and all of a sudden, they look up, and, and, and the flock's gone. They're gone. They're, they're, they're all alone. They feed on whatever's easy, whatever's near. They get into trouble a lot. They get caught in fences. They get turned upside down full of gas from eating too much grass, and they can't flip back over. They die of exposure. They get easily isolated. And you know the isolated one is the one in danger because that's the one the wolf is going to pick off. Stay in the flock of the church so you're not picked off by Satan. That's why we want our kids in the flock. That's the safer place to be with the righteous. But one thing sheep do when they're in trouble they will call out for help. And you can Google to hear a sheep bleeding and it'll, and they really, they really cry. They cry, they cry. They cry out for help and it's loud and it's deafening and they don't stop. But do you see how humble that is? Because what do we do when we get in trouble? We're not telling anyone. We're not telling anyone. We're not airing our dirty laundry. We're not telling them the family's in this trouble. I'm not telling anyone I lost my job. I'm not telling anyone I'm pregnant. I'm not telling, you know, we, we stay isolated. Sheep will cry out for help. They get in a crevasse and they're bleeding and bleeding and bleeding and bleeding. It's deafening. And the shepherd hears them and goes. So they're humble. Stupid, but humble. <laughs> but it's the desperate cry of a sheep. And when sheep get themselves lost, they need a savior. They cannot get out of the situation. They cannot pull themselves up out of it by their bootstraps. And we can't either. We, every single person in here needs a savior. There's one way to the father and it's through Jesus Christ and he's the good shepherd. He's the one that can get us home. So we have to be humble and we have to know our limitations that we have to cry out for help and we have to repent and bleat, cry to the Lord. The son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So that's a beautiful first parable. The second parable is about a woman. And it's the parable of the lost coin. And Luke is the only one that has it. And Luke is the one who has the most stories about women, including the narrative from the Virgin Mother. Luke loves women. Every commentator I read passed right over this one. It's two lines. It's not a good one. It's a very good one. Now listen up. God does not just welcome penitent sinners. God intentionally seeks them out. So listen to this one. Or what woman, having 10 coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently, seek diligently until she finds that coin. Seeking diligently, she looks and she looks and she seeks and she seeks and she's looking and she's looking and she's looking and she's looking. She's almost frantic. 
until she finds it. And then when she has found it, she calls together all her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, isn't that an interesting story? How is a lost coin different from a lost sheep? A sheep wanders off away from the flock on its own accord. It did it. It wandered off. The lost coin is not responsible for its own loss. The coin is innocent. The coin did nothing wrong. The woman is the caretaker of the coin. She's responsible for losing it, right? Just like when you lost your car keys. The keys are innocent. They didn't do anything wrong. You lost them. No one else did. Either it was accident or carelessness or forgetfulness, whatever the reason, you still lost them. So it's not the key's fault. It's not the coin's fault that they got lost. The shepherd's responsible for 100 sheep and one wandered off on its own accord. He's still responsible, but the sheep did it. The woman was responsible for 10 coins that she had, and she lost one of them. It's a one to 10 ratio. What do those coins represent? Because would you spend all day looking for a penny? And would you spend all day looking for a nickel? No, that's ridiculous. Would you spend all day looking for 18 cents? Because that's what that drachma is worth back in the day, 18 cents. 18 cents, Luke is the only one who talks about the silver drachma because he's from Greece and a drachma is Greece. It's the same as a Latin denarius. It's about one day's wage. It's 18 cents. If you were really poor, you might spend all day looking for 18 cents. But these coins must symbolize something more than mere money. The last coin, the drachma, was worth one day's wages. But what do we know about a coin? It always has on it what? An image, a face, a face. It always has an image on every drachma throughout history. There's always a face on the front. And this is a Hellenized country. The Jews, though, know whose image they are created in. And it's not the one on the coin. They know that God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And each coin could represent a human soul forged with the imprint, the image of God on it. God's image is permanently imprinted on every soul. We're made in his image and his likeness. And that's why the Pharisees try to trap Jesus with the coin. Remember that story? And Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar's. This image on the coin, this isn't the image I'm creating. I'm creating the image of my father. Give to Caesar what Caesar. Give to God what's God. So don't sell your soul to Caesar. You're created in God's image and likeness. It's these same Pharisees that Pilate's going to ask, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests were the ones that said, we have no king but Caesar. It's just total. They had one king, God. He was their king, their eternal, everlasting king of kings. And they sell out to Caesar, the image of Caesar on the coin. They had totally lost their image. They have lost their deepest identity of being made in the image and likeness of the almighty God, their only king. So the coin is lost. Spiritually, an image of God is lost. The woman's frantically searching in her own home. In her own home, a lost soul in her own household. Who is it? It could be her own soul, or it could be someone else in her household. One of the 10 she lives with. Someone has lost their image and likeness of God. Someone's in trouble in her own household, in her own family. Who is lost? Is it her or one of the 10 in her household? Is there any mom out here right now who has lost a kid from your own household who is not going to church anymore? 
Is there any dad out here who has lost a child, a precious image of God who is no longer receiving Jesus in the Eucharist anymore? Then you know what it's like to lose a precious image of God in your own household and how frantically she's looking for it. A mama hen doesn't want to lose any of the brood under her wings. And a mama and a daddy don't want to lose any souls from around their kitchen table. They don't want any one of the precious images of God that they created as they image the Trinity. They don't want any of those getting lost, especially in their own household. Right under our nose, right under our care, my child became lost. How does that happen? How does that happen, God? And we blame ourselves. I must not have been a very good mother. I must not have taught them enough about the faith. I must not have taken them to church enough. I must not have. We were responsible for their care, and they became lost in our own household. St. Monica was frantic in her prayer for her lost son, Augustine. A coin, a precious image of God that was lost right under her nose in her own house. Jesus didn't want to lose any of his own from his own house. And he uses this image two chapters ago. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you children together as a hen gathers a brood under her wings. And you wouldn't. You wouldn't because you have free will. That's the other thing God the Father gives us. We're in his image and likeness, but he also gives us freedom. Like the Father will give his son freedom to take the inheritance and go. He's in his father's image. He looks like his dad. He's a chip off the old block, but the dad gives him freedom. God gave us a free will. Each coin is a soul in God's image, but each coin, each soul has been gifted with free will. But Jesus, that good shepherd from the first story, he doesn't want anyone to get snatched away from his house. We're all his children. We're all brothers of his. We all have the same father. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That's a promise of God. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. And I and the father are one. And that, my friend, is a wonderful promise to cling to. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. And it's the reason we take our infant babies for baptism and claim them for Christ the minute we can. Because in baptism, they get an indelible seal on their forehead that can never, ever, 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 ever be erased or removed. They are claimed for Jesus Christ. Now this woman is frantically searching in her own home. And there are some within the home of the church that are also lost in our church home. There are people sitting in the pews that haven't a clue what this is all about. Did you know that? The coin is in the house, but it's still lost. The indelible soul, the souls are in the house, but they're still lost. A soul can be in the house, but still lost. Souls at church can be just as lost as the sheep soul in the crevasse. The sheep is lost outside the home because it wanders off. Some people aren't even going to church. They've wandered off. Some are sitting there right in the pews and they're lost like the coin. The psalmist says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek thy servant. A coin is lost inside the home because it has somehow had its image tarnished by sin. The parent has the responsibility to teach and to train those under their care. And that's a big responsibility. And some of us say, I didn't do it good enough. I, I don't know what to do now. My kids are, they're, they're leaving the nest and they're leaving the church. What we have to remember is the family is the domestic church. It's in Lumen Gentium number 11. And John Paul said this, Catholic parents must learn to form their family as a domestic church, a church in the home, as it were, where God is honored. His law is respected. Prayer is normal. Virtue is transmitted by word and example. And everyone shares the hopes, the problems, and the sufferings of everyone else. 
All of this is not to advocate a return to some outdated style of living. It is to return to the roots of human development and human happiness. The Jews taught their children. God instructed them, teach your children. The Shema prayer that they said three times a day, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Teach them diligently to your sons. Talk when they sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall put them on the frontals of your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. We're instructed to teach our children. And sometimes we feel bad we didn't do that well enough. Well, it's not too late. That's why you're here. That's why you're learning scripture. That's why when they have questions, you can intelligently answer. That's why you can instruct your grandchildren and your nieces and nephews and your neighbors. The Proverbs say, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents have a responsibility. Grandparents have a responsibility. Great-grandparents have a responsibility. It's not too late. And our first responsibility as Catholic parents was to get our kids baptized and get that spiritual indelible mark on their soul. And this is what it says in the catechism at 1272, incorporated into Christ by baptism, the baptized person is configured to Christ. Baptism seals the children with the indelible spiritual mark of his belonging to Christ. No sin can erase this mark even if sin prevents baptism from bearing the fruits of salvation. Now, we don't want that. We don't want sin to prevent the fruits of salvation. But they do have that first step, that mark. So the coin is lost in the home, right under the nose of the woman. And there are a lot of parents out there who are so lost, they don't even know that their kids are lost. And they don't even know they should be seeking for their kids. And they don't even know that they're a lost coin. The patron saint of mothers with lost children is St. Monica the mother of St. Augustine. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for his conversion. And we just sang his prayer. And it's beautiful. He was squandering his life on wild living. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and interceded for him. And he came back to the Lord as one of the greatest saints of all time, a doctor to the church. Who was it more difficult for, Monica or Augustine, the one who was lost or the one who's waiting for the lost to be found? Who is it harder for, the mom or the kid? The dad or the son? I mean, the the kid's having a grand old time. The parent's home with a heart that's breaking for their child. What action helped the lost coin or the soul to become found? She was searching and seeking diligently, every day really praying, really seeking the Lord. Light a candle, sweeping all the dirt out of life so we can see the image on the coin. Searching and seeking diligently, daily, fasting, praying, work, time, persistence. She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, seeks diligently until that coin is found. The word of God is the lamp. The psalmist says, the word of God is a lamp to my feet. You're in the word of God. You're learning his promises for you so you can share them with your families. We sweep away the dirt that has darkened God's image in our own soul. That's sin. The floors of the house were dirt, and so if a coin's lost under the dirt, your image is even more tarnished. That image of God, sin tarnishes that, and we all have this universal call to holiness. We, as the ones praying for someone lost and the lost, to come to holiness, to clean the coin, so we can see that coin again, the image restored, that image of God within us. And when it is restored, the joy is overwhelming because the lost is found. The dirt has been removed. It's shiny again. It's very usable for God's kingdom work. It's a saved soul. So the Lord is working with both people, the seeker and the seeky. 
Parents, if you're seeking for someone, this is for us too, to grow deeper in trust of the Lord, to implore him, to fast, to pray, to give alms, to just trust the Lord. And you'll need patience and you'll need diligence to do that. And the word of God, the light of Christ as guide and sweeping away the dirt of your own soul, growing in your own personal holiness so you can be an effective witness, an authentic witness of true joy for your kids. Now, I want to tell you one other possibility to consider with this woman, and I think this is interesting, and no male commentators write about it, but 10, she has 10 coins, 10, 10, 10. What is 10 in the Bible? At the time of Jesus, the Jewish brides wore a headband of 10 coins. So they would have a headband, if, if, on your wedding day, you have a headband with 10 coins. Why 10? 10 in the Bible is the number for the completeness of the divine order. Marriage was the primordial sacrament. Male and female together in the marital embrace represent the Trinity. It's the completeness of the divine order. There were 10 commandments, the completeness of God's law. There were 10 plagues against the Egyptians because it was the total complete judgment of God against the pagan Egyptians. So this completeness of the divine order, 10, the number of harmony between the creator and the creation. So 10 coins on a headband when a couple, a Jewish couple is coming together in holy matrimony, a completeness of the divine order. When God married Israel on Sinai, he gave 10 commandments as the wedding gift. Remember? Nice wedding gift, but it was. It was God's gift to them for their beatitude, for their happiness to follow the law. Moses comes back down. They've made a golden calf. He smashes the tablets of stone. God reinstates the covenant. He renews it because the marital covenant with God is forever until one party dies. They get a second chance. Moses goes back up. He gets a second set of tablets written by the finger of God because it's an unbreakable marital covenant only ended by death. That's how God feels. So the end of that old covenant comes when God, one party of the marriage dies, God dies on the cross. 10 days after his ascension back to the father, there's a new wedding. It's Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is poured out as the new wedding gift. It is 10 days after his ascension back to the father. He sits down at the right hand of the father. 10 days later, this new bride gets a new wedding gift from her husband. God, it's the Holy Spirit who's poured out on him. It's a new divine order. It's not just for the Jews. It's for all people, all Abraham's children. Now, you must know something about brides in the Middle East. In antiquity, in days of the Bible, ancient Middle Eastern brides were always bedecked with jewels. And it's in many of the scriptures, they were covered, plastered with jewels. It's all marriage talk. I'm entering a covenant with you, says the Lord. You will become mine. I've decked you with ornaments. I put bracelets on your arms, chains on your neck, a ring through your nose, earrings in your ears, a beautiful crown on your head. You're decked with gold and silver. All these wedding scriptures, her ornaments, her bridely attire, you'll wear them as ornaments. I'll put them on like a bride. A bride adorns herself with jewels. Why? That was part one of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.